there's always going to be somebody that twists your words and manipulates something you say, and they're never going to be able to change their view, no matter what you're trying to do. That's something I learned doing the whole social media thing. It's like, no matter what you do, no matter how good you try to be or the good things you've done, there's always going to be people that are going to try to talk bad about you, you know, or try to bring you down. You just got to get out there and do your thing. Welcome to the O2X Tactical Performance Podcast. O2X has spent years training our nation's military and first responders, as well as athletes and other elite organizations in the best ways to maximize both physical and mental performance. Take an in-depth look at our team, the organizations we work with, the issues that tactical athletes face on a daily basis, and the best ways to overcome those issues. What's up, guys? It's the host of O2X Tactical Performance, Joe McCullough. Hey, do me a favor. As you're listening to the episode, please go into whatever streaming platform you're on. Leave us a rating. And more importantly, leave us a review, especially if you're associated with a department or agency or unit, municipality, JV soccer team, whatever it is. Leave us a review. Let us know where you're listening from and let us know what agency you're associated with. We love to incorporate guests that pique the interest of our listeners. So letting us know how you serve, where you serve, and what you do will help us tremendously. So leave us a review and let us know. Thanks. Today's guest has been a part of NYPD for 14 years, having spent the last five of those years in Counterterrorism Bureau, and most recently taking on a role within the department to help officers and civilians with their physical fitness. His passion for health and wellness started prior to his career as a law enforcement officer when he joined the fitness industry as a personal trainer. Since joining the fitness industry, he's been sponsored by companies like First Form and NutriChef, and has worked with companies like New York Sports Club to promote health and wellness amongst first responders. He made the cover of Ironman Magazine in 2017 and has been featured on platforms to include Men's Health, Simply Shredded, Fox & Friends, and Good Morning America. Most notably, he can be found across all social platforms under the name No Donuts Here. Please welcome the podcast, Mike Cunahan. Mike. What's up, man? Pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm happy we could get this set up. Where are we getting you at today, first and foremost? I'm home, man. I actually just finished up my vacation. It's kind of a little staycation. A few days off from work, did some fishing, ran some errands. You're in NYPD. Do you live in the city? No, I'm like an hour outside of the city. A little solitude out here. Get away from the hustle and bustle of the city. I went to college on Long Island. Are you out that way? No, I do a lot of fishing out there, though. I spend some time out there. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, you have a connection to two of our previous guests. Both guys are pretty prominent figures in law enforcement, one being Jason Lacayo, who is an emergency service unit operator in upstate New York. And the other one is Aaron Lohman, who works in NYPD's health and wellness section. He lost some ridiculous amount of weight. I think it was 170 pounds naturally. Both those guys are great guys, man. They're the best of the best. They were awesome guests and really cool stories. Anyone that wants to check it out, both episodes are, are in our library. but. When I read your role in NYPD is to help officers with their fitness, that sounded pretty closely related to Aaron's role in the department as well. So are you part of NYPD's health and wellness or are you doing two separate things? It's a weird, somewhat political answer, but uh, I was supposed to go to that unit and politics got involved and I was kind of told to stay where I am. So within that opportunity, I was given an opportunity to do like a health and wellness thing for the counterterrorism bureau. And I'm super grateful for that opportunity. And after 14 years of getting mocked and made fun of for being the the fitness guy, now I'm in a position where I'm able to help guys do something that I'm really passionate about. 
it gives you an opportunity to help cops while they're at work and help cops be better parents and just live a better life. Yeah, no, for sure. Aaron kind of had the same takeaway. He was super grateful to play a part in something that could, you know, help cops outside of the department. And something mm-hmm. like health and wellness is so important to law enforcement officers so they can have a, a long and healthy career. So that's awesome that you can get involved with. So you're yeah, specific to the counterterrorism bureau, essentially. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. And it's cool to see the progression over the last 10 years. You know, it was looked like fitness was like taboo within law enforcement. And now it's like it's becoming such a priority for so many people. I haven't done the research to see what the average life expectancy is now after retirement, but I know back then it was like five years for a cop, which is pretty scary if you think about it. We work a lot with firefighters as well. And I was talking to uh, one of our previous guests, and I think it's someone who spent over 20 years on the department. This is the fire service, but they Mm -hmm. spent 20 years on the department and retired. The average life expectancy was five years after retirement. Crazy. And if you really think about it, you get in at you know your early 20s. So you do 20 years, you retire in early 40s. Yeah. And then 45, 50, you're dead. Like that's... Yeah. Scary uh, stat. The amount of stock that departments are putting into it now, especially departments like NYPD or FDNY, and you know, like the larger departments are the one that leads the way on that type of yeah. stuff. So it's great to see that they're you know putting some serious the reason, stock in. The reason my job started the health and wellness was because of the amount of suicides we had one year. I think we had like 11 or 12 suicides two or three years ago. And that's what really got the ball rolling on that to push the mental health aspect of it. All the pros that come with training and living a healthier lifestyle. No, for sure. For sure. I want to grab a backdrop on your career here for a second, because I know you started in the fitness industry after sustaining an injury in college football. It sounds Mm -hmm. like you had some success there, but somewhere along the lines, you ended up in law enforcement. So how exactly did your career in the fitness industry coincide with your career in law enforcement? I've been training since the age of 12. So training's always been like in my blood. And I started training for football in high school and into college. And once I got hurt playing college ball, I just kind of stuck with it. Shortly after, you know, I was a personal trainer through college and then into right before I became a cop. I never really made the correlation between being in shape and being a cop. I always kept it like separate. A couple of years into my career, I was in a really bad situation. I was by myself and I was fighting a guy that was high on PCP and he was trying to rip the gun out of my holster and I'm trying to prevent him from doing that and fight him off and handcuff him and everything. And it was just, it was an eye-opening experience for me to say the least. And I was like, holy shit, like if I'm in this situation and I trained, I was in pretty good condition, I was strong and you know I was in pretty good shape. If this was somebody else, like this guy probably would have took their gun and killed him. And that's what kind of like lit the fire for me to make that connection between law enforcement and and the whole fitness thing. That's what sparked the no donuts here thing on Instagram. How did you get in that situation first off? Like, I don't want to breeze over that. What what happened? How was it like you just ran into a guy on on PCP? Was it a was it a call? Like, how did that go down? Me and my partner were sent to take this guy down to the hospital. I forget what situation was. I think we locked him up. My partner might have locked him up and we had to take him to the hospital. So we're going down there, drop my partner off. I dropped the, the guy off that has to go to the hospital. I'm driving back. Uh, it's the end of my tour. I'm ready to go home. I'm like, taking a slow ride back to the command and I pull up to this red light and this big guy's beating on like pounding on this little dude. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm in like a marked police car. I'm like, man, there's a lot of people around. Everybody's looking at me like, hey, you going to do something? Then they pour out into the street, like right in front of my car. And we're on like a very main road in the city. I turn the lights on, I hit the siren, try to get this guy to stop. 
he stopped hitting that guy and proceeded to punch out the window, the passenger side window of my car. Looking back at it, I was, you know, I was like early 20s. My ego kind of took over. I got out of the car and I was like, this guy, uh, where normally now I would be like, hey, I need a few more people over here. I need some help with this guy. He's nuts. Hindsight is 2020. I get out of my car and I slam the door. And by the time I turn around, this dude's on top of me, just punching me in the face. I'm like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> so we start going back and forth. We start rolling around on the double yellow. There's cars going by and stuff. It's absolute pandemonium. He starts going for my gun and he starts trying to pull it out. And we have those, we had old holsters where it was just a snap and rock forward, but that's it. It didn't take much to get out. So weapon retention was huge. You, know, you got the guns in the holster, his hands on the gun, my hands on his hand on the gun. And I'm trying to hold it down and fight him off with my left hand. And I'm like, <laughs> and it's like, as all this is going by, it's going through like slow motion. It's like, dude, am I going to have to shoot this guy? Like if I shoot this guy, am I going to go to jail? I'm going to be all over the news. Like this, all this is going through, like, is going to be a justified shoot. Like, I do not want to shoot this guy. Like, what am I going to do? So I ended up just like, like picking him up and just dropping him. And I was able to get on top of him and kind of control him that way. But it was scary, man. I was training six days a week and killing myself in the gym and all that stuff. So I was in pretty good shape. But somebody else, you know, might not have had a similar situation or a similar outcome. First off, that's crazy. Like, you know what I mean? That's that's insane. Mm-hmm. I can't believe he was able to punch out a window. I, I guess you can defy the odds when you're on PCP, but people on PCP are on a different level, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Damn. I mean, wow. You've been a part of NYPD for 14 years now. And you mentioned that happened when you were in your early 20s. I, I don't know when you started in NYPD, but Jason, his first gig in NYPD was Operation Impact, which was essentially just placing law enforcement officers in like high crime area and in hopes that it would, yep. it would reduce crime. Were you working in that Operation Impact when this happened? Yeah, so, that- yeah Jay went to the 4-6 a year before me. I came on a year after him and I went to the 5-2, which is right next door, like the adjoining precinct. Were you working Operation Impact when that situation happened? No. No. Oh, okay. Just just complete coincidence. Just pure luck. What was your first gig in law enforcement then? Because I thought the way he described it to me was like almost all new cops got thrown into that Operation Impact. So Operation Impact was the blind leading the blind. It was prime areas and you just kind of flooded the streets instead of a post. And that was it. They threw you to the wolves pretty much and just said, hey, go figure it out. Okay, cool. So how did you get involved with it? Did you go counterterrorism directly after Operation Impact? No. So we did impact within, uh, everybody went to a precinct, you do an impact in a precinct, and then you graduated from impact to patrol. So then you go from standing at footpost to answering a million 911 jobs a day. Did impact for two years, patrol for six years, and then I went to counterterrorism. Okay, cool. So Ironically, we're talking as the Taliban just took over Afghanistan again. What does counterterrorism look like on the home front? More specifically, what does counterterrorism look like from a law enforcement perspective? It's a lot of prevention. A lot of what my unit does is we'll go pretty much hard and soft targets. So all the big tourist attractions, all the Times Square, Empire State Building, major transportation hubs, we'll go out there and we're kind of like the eyes and ears of counterterrorism. We're the feet on the ground. We're the first ones out there. God forbid something happens. You know, we were there for the incident on the West Side Highway, the guy that was mowing people down at Times Square. Like a lot of the times we're the first ones there. Our units are, are the ones with the feet on the ground. The O2X Tactical Performance Podcast is proud to be sponsored by FirstNet, built with AT&T. FirstNet is the only high-speed broadband communication platform built with and for public safety. An emergency response, communication isn't a luxury. 
Every single moment counts. That's why FirstNet, built with AT&T, is here. The FirstNet mission is to make communication faster, safer, and more collaborative for first responders and those who support them. FirstNet helps first responders connect when and where they need to with priority and preemption capabilities. This means they connect first because being first matters, especially in an emergency. As a part of the FirstNet commitment to responder health and wellness, FirstNet is sponsoring programs like us at O2X Human Performance to make a difference in the lives of those who serve. Get more info at firstnet.com or at your local AT&T store. FirstNet and the FirstNet logo are registered trademarks of the First Responder Network Authority. All other marks are the property of their respective owners. When something like the situation in Afghanistan happens, what does that look like on the home front for you guys? Are you guys pulling longer shifts? Is it did that impact your workload directly or it's just a, a heightened sense of things, you know what I mean? Like you're not getting days off, I'll put it that way. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, you do the same stuff, you're just at a heightened sense. You know, you gotta be ultra aware and go out there and do your thing. Got you. I know you have a serious presence on social media. Why no donuts here? Is that just a spin on, on yeah. uh, cops like donuts? <laughs> yeah, it's a spin on the stereotype. You know, every time you see a cop on TV or whatever, it's some fat donut eating coffee, drinking, cigarette, smoking cop. And a lot of the times that's true. So it's like, I wanted to get out there and set a standard and break a stereotype. You mentioned that you were known as like the uh, the fitness guy, or you were getting a lot of shit for being the fitness guy in the department. Do people just know you as the no donut guy or do they call you yeah. two and a half? Like, what's, what's the deal? The donut guy. That's what I'm known as now. And I'll take that. I used to get made fun of for walking around with my water and all my meals and stuff like that. And now that's like, it's become the norm. And it's cool to see that progress and that progression because I know it's making guys healthier. They're better husbands and better wives and leading a better life, not only at work, but at home. No, for sure. You got involved with companies like First Form. You're rocking a First Form shirt right now and, and NutriChef. Did that come as a result of creating social media or were you involved with them prior to law enforcement? How did you get involved with major companies like that? I'm not still with NutriChef, but I don't know if they exist anymore. I'm not sure what's going on with them. But I got involved with First Form right after I started social media, shortly after. I was at work one day and <laughs> it's a funny story how my social media kind of blew up. I was at work one day some guy came out to me. He was like, Hey, I want to do an article on you or whatever. And I was like, no, nah, dude, like I'm not that guy. Like, I don't like putting myself out there at all. And he, he was so persistent about it. He left and came back like two or three times. He was just asking me random questions and I was, you know, shooting it with him and just hanging out. He's like, all right, see you later, man. I appreciate you. I'll be safe. A few days later, he emails me. I'm like, how did this guy get my email? And I'm like, Oh, so like social media had just started. And I was like, Oh man, I forgot about this thing. He's like, I hope you don't mind. He was like, I wrote that article. It's on news.com, like Australia or something like that. It has like 50,000 shares on Facebook. And I was like, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. Like, That's the first thing I went through my head. Nothing really came of it. Shortly thereafter, I was doing stuff with like the New York Post and Fox and Friends, Good Day New York and all these other like TV shows and stuff like that. And it just kind of blew up. I had the opportunity to meet Sal and Andy who kind of run the show over at First Form. I established a relationship with them. And once my social media started to grow... I kind of got picked up by them and I wanted this athlete search that they do every, or they used to do every year. In the past year, there's been like some serious ebbs and flows when it came to the public's views of love. I don't actually don't, I don't want to say the public because I firmly believe the public has, or at least supports law enforcement, at least the general public, a lot of unwarranted scrutiny that has come towards law enforcement during the defund the police movement. Being that your platform is so large, did you deal with like a, a lot of heat from like keyboard warriors during that time, especially when it was like going crazy? I, 
the answer to the question is yes. But I just had a guy, oh, even today, I put a post up yesterday saying that like we should live every day like September 12th, 2001. There was no race. There was no gender, no political parties. Like there was no problems. Everybody unified as Americans that day. And this guy gets on talking all this, this nonsense, like, oh, you guys are all these racist white cops and all this other stuff. This is how you say, dude, it's just never going to end. You know what I mean? There's always going to be somebody that twists your words and manipulates something you say, and they're never going to be able to change their view, no matter what you're trying to do. That's something I learned doing the whole social media thing. It's like, no matter what you do, no matter how good you try to be or the good things you've done, there's always going to be people that are going to try to talk bad about you, you know, or try to bring you down. You got to get out there and do your thing. But I've tried hard to uh, improve the relationship and the stigma between cops and the community. And that's why I set up that whole fit for duty event to try to do that and improve that situation and put out good content to see people from the community working with the cops and, you know, working towards a common goal, getting out there and sweating together and getting better together. When you have a platform that large, you got to think of just the, the sheer amount of people. You have like 200,000 followers or something like that. The amount of people that can just come at you for whatever you say, mm-hmm. right? That like they'll manipulate your words and in pretty much any way they want. Does that get infuriating after a while? Like, did, it, does there it, ever come a time where you're like, all right, like, fuck social media? I'm, I'm done with yeah. this. Yeah. It used to bother me a lot more than it does now. Now I'm just, I just block everybody. It's not worth a headache. It's not worth like, you know, I don't check my phone as soon as I wake up anymore, but whenever I do get to it, like it used to bring me down, like it used to like really piss me off. And now I'm just like block, block, block. I've probably blocked thousands of people over the last, you know, five years or whatever. can only imagine, especially during that time where like everyone was coming after cops. My mind went to people like you and, you know, Jay and Aaron who do their best to motivate, like not only motivate cops, but just people in general. And all of a sudden yeah. I'm just getting negative backlash just for you know, mm-hmm. just being law enforcement officers. So. Either way, it's my understanding that the idea behind growing your social media was to motivate cops and other first responders to get in shape. You're pretty vocal, as you just mentioned the story about you wrestling the dude with with BCP. You're pretty vocal that health and fitness is a baseline necessity. You're in great shape after you know 14 years on the job. An initiative that you started was that fit for duty. Was it a seminar, a workshop? What do you what do you call it? It was just like a big meetup slash workout. Initially, I just wanted it to be for cops. And then it was just cops and firemen and then first responders. And then I sat down with my buddy, Mike Trotter, who helps me run it. And he was like, dude, we should make this open to everybody. Like, why just do it for first responders? And we started talking and brainstorming. I'm like, dude, how cool would it be if you did open it to everyone else and you put everybody into groups and you had them all work together. So you had within that group, you had cops and firemen and paramedics and just regular people from the community, regular civilians. And that's essentially what we did. It was such a cool thing to be a part of. And there's people that met three or four years ago, whenever we did the first one, and they're still friends with those people to this day. And we had people from all over the country, even Canada, Florida, I think Arizona. And it was so cool to see everybody just come together and kind of forget all the madness in the news and in the media and have a good time. And it's like you have everybody working together and helping each other, cheering each other on, working towards a common goal. And then we hung out, ate some food, had a good time. How was it executed? Like you got just a group of people there and then you ran like a group workout. It was a big EMOM. You had different stations. I had a few pieces of very simple equipment, like kettlebells and stuff like that. That was it. You still doing it or was it just a one-time thing? I know it probably got jacked because of COVID last year, right? The city's been very difficult. We did it twice. We did two consecutive years. Last year, obviously, it was a wash. I'm not sure what the rules are now. Like I don't know if they'll give, even give me a permit to do it. 
or if I would have to do it outside of the city. I don't know, but I want to do it again. I just got to figure out the logistics of it. I was listening to one of your previous interviews. You mentioned that there came a time where your life pretty much got overly consumed with kind of like pushing your physical boundaries while you know trying to maintain a career in law enforcement. You ended up mm-hmm. suffering a pretty brutal injury. You tore your bicep. A huge part of our program here is injury prevention and recovery. Can you mm-hmm. first off walk us through how you tore your bicep? That's a ruthless injury. How did you do that? Yeah, so I had dieted down to like 190 pounds. I stayed at that weight for a couple of years. I was like, all right, I'm too small. I've been too small for too long. I had to put some size back on. So I was got back into lifting heavy again and I got a little reckless and I was doing a reverse grip bent over rows with 315 and I was going for like my eighth rep and the thing just exploded on me, snapped like rubber band. The muscle belly was fine, but the tendon snapped up and was like up in my, my bicep. So they had to cut me below my elbow on the inside of my arm and kind of fish the tendon out, clean it up sew it to an anchor and then drill through my arm and you know so against taking the uh the pain meds and the surgeon was like listen he goes i know you don't want to take these pain meds but he goes trust me get on them before the nerve block wears off and i was like no, i'm not taking that shit no way the nerve block wore off like three o'clock in the morning and i was like i couldn't get those things on my mouth fast enough man it hurt so bad yeah no i can only imagine what's the recovery time on a torn bicep and what did the process look like for like rehab and, and getting back you look normal now so i don't know when this happened but you know, we're going on four years ago now. For me, it was every bit of like two years, maybe more, before I really started being able to train on it confidently. Started with no weight, just like a, we would do a lot of blood flow restriction training. So you're able to pump blood into the muscle without really applying a load to it. So that was very beneficial. Tons of physical therapy. Are you at 100% now? Like it's completely functional. There's no loss of movement or anything. Yeah, it's that's not bad now. I ended up partially tearing the other one train like an idiot again because I got a little overconfident. The one that was repaired feels totally fine. Once I had it done, they're like the repaired one is stronger than the the other one now. So in order to wrap up here, you know, part of our program here is what we call one percent changes. We like to implement small daily changes into people's lifestyles in order to create a lasting impact. And I usually ask all our guests when we're signing out, you know, like what's a one percent change that you would offer our listeners that they can make into their into their daily life. I know you're pretty fitness related, but you just mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, mental health means something to you as well. So what's something that you do in your daily life that you think makes you you know, 1% better every day? I think it would be just getting into a, a routine, having a regiment a day. Don't get slack off completely on your days off. You know, Try to keep somewhat of a routine and a, and a regimented schedule. You know, go to the gym, make time for it, make time to prep your meals. Like I've personally found that I'm better with getting my meals in when I'm at work, because everything is so regimented, you know, and I kind of slack off on my days off. I found it's just so important to have a schedule and stick to it all the time. I heard a good analogy today, actually. I don't know why I've never heard this before, but this guy was like, if I told you you could buy one car for the rest of your life and you had that one car for the rest of your life, which, how would you take care of it? Would you change oil every certain amount of times, every certain amount of miles? Would you, would you drive it fast? Would you put garbage fuel in it? And essentially, that's the same. It's an analogy for your body. I had one guy make fun of me a couple of years ago. And he was like, oh, you can treat your body like a temple. I treat mine like a fucking amusement park. And I'm like, what kind of attitude is that? Like, that just doesn't register in my front, in my brain. Just take care of yourself. You know, you're beating the hell out of yourself between the job. And then you're going out drinking and eating like shit and, and not exercising. We didn't take this job to get rich. And a lot of us are going to depend on that pension once we retire. And I want the city paying me for as long as possible. 
I'd like to inquire if you if you still have time. Can you just run us through what your I know your takeaway here is to build a routine. Can you run me through what your routine would look like if you're number one on your off day and then number two mm-hmm. on say a day that you have a, a shift? I wake up at like three thirty. I got to be at work at six. I have like an hour commute. I wake up early. I get all my stuff together. Head out the door. Get all my meals in while I'm at work. Train immediately after work. That's really it, dude. My days are very boring. You know, I'll run errands after the gym if I have time, and that's it. And then days off is a lot of errands. I'll wake up, try to get the gym in as early as possible. Depending on what I have going on, I try to get a fasted workout in if I'm trying to lose weight. One thing I make sure to do if I have time is get outside, man. I'm a big fisherman. I think it's important as first responder or military or anything is get some kind of hobby, man. Get your mind off all the bad stuff you see on a daily routine, but do something that just takes your mind off everything where you can go and just kind of disconnect and recalibrate. Mike, man, I can't thank you enough. That was um, super informative. And I know our listeners will take away a lot from your story and your 1% change building a routine is something that we put a huge emphasis on. So I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on and best of luck. Hopefully the the bicep stays intact. And yeah. I, think, yeah, I know you got, I think it's a total of 14 years on the job. So what you got four or five years left, six or six or five years left. Here's left. Man, if I make it that long. All right, man. Well, I'm pulling for you. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for taking the time. Best of luck. Yeah, man. Appreciate you guys having me on, man. Thank you so much. This is O2X co-founder, Adam LaRue. The O2X Tactical Performance app is finally available on all mobile devices. We've created a platform that will help you forge strong habits, track your progress, and get 1% better every day. After years of research and development in the tactical populations, we've collected the tools necessary to maximize both physical and mental performance. Whether you're looking for dietary tracking, personalized workout programming, or goal-driven mental performance plans, the Tactical Performance app is your one-stop shop for all things human performance. In the app, you'll find daily customizable eat questionnaires with suggestions for improvement and an intake tracker to monitor progress. Daily workouts based on your selected plan or app history, each paired with a workout timer, movement videos, step-by-step instructions, and the O2X prepare and recover protocols for proper warm-up, cool-down, and reducing those injuries. Thrive plans and tools to improve mental health, stress mitigation, and recovery techniques, and much more. Transform the way you eat, sweat, and thrive. Download in the episode description or through your app store.